0: I want to get into a message series that I have entitled, Warring with the Gods. Warring with the Gods. God's little g. Warring with the Gods. And I don't know how many weeks, but I appreciate you being here for the start of it. And as I said um, before, I I had a concern about starting a brand new series on a holiday weekend for, you know, just fear that people would miss out and maybe wouldn't go back and catch up. But you're in the room, and I want to acknowledge that. I wanna say thank you for being in the room because in some of these messages, I'm going to talk about people who aren't in the room, but I don't want you to have pressure on you and feel the weight of, well, dang it, Pastor Josh, I'm here, you're preaching to the choir, we're trying what you're saying, the people you want to hear this that aren't here aren't here, so what do you expect me to do? It's not, it's not from a spirit that says, more bricks, less straw. It's not from an attitude that's saying, I'm gonna get blood out of a turnip. What it's coming from an attitude of is, I know in July, I know our church really well, I, I know our rhythm really well, the people who are here during this series, they're the people who are gonna do something with the word that they receive, am I right? Because I don't just wanna make a difference, I wanna make a difference with people who are making a difference, and that's you and that's all of us together. We have a real, real advantage here. Um you've asked me about culture time pressure faith and praying and thinking through this this warring with the gods is my attempt to give to you the biblical response and answer led by the spirit of god on the challenges of culture time pressure and living out our faith so that's what we're trying to do um Has anybody ever, just be, let's, let's just be transparent with each other. Anybody in the room ever went down a YouTube rabbit hole? <laughs> anybody ever been down any kind of social media or internet rabbit hole? And the next thing you know, an ungodly amount of time <laughs> has passed and you're like, Whoa! Where are the kids? They're playing in the road. Like, I mean, I that <laughs> that, that happened to me. That my kids are all grown. When so I don't have to, if they're in the road, that's a problem. You know, what I mean, like they got their own health insurance now. So, like, so so I went down one of those rabbit holes of YouTube, and I went down the rabbit hole, but it got stuck down the rabbit hole of um, talent show auditions. <laughs> but good ones, because I can't handle the bad ones. Some of you sickos like the cringy ones where the people fail. I'm not that guy, right? Like, you know, I could split the room in two again by asking who's who. Who's on Team Cringe and who's not? Like when I see those people get up there and they can't do their thing, all I see is a person who nobody loved because, <laughs> because nobody told them, you should not be on TV doing this, right? Like I just, see, I just see an unloved human being and it breaks my heart too. So like I don't get a through out of that. So I was seeing golden buzzers. I was doing Golden Buzzer over the years and I was, I, I'm not ashamed to tell you, I was crying like a baby watching these things. And um, I saw a young man on a talent show who was part. He's in, a, um, he's in a, very, a very well-known, very prestigious music school. And he wrote a song that happened during the lockdown about his battle with depression and anxiety. He ended up getting selected for the show. I think he even got a golden buzzer. But it resonated with me, a part of his song, which is so simple but profound, it said this. Here's what the lyric said. And, he, and, he, and it was like a, a three, like a three times repeated chorus. Um, this is what the song said. His heart cry. Someone's got to help me. Someone's got to help me someone's got to help me. And he wasn't a guy that was just singing lyrics. Like, his heart was being transferred through the sound system, and you could feel the lyrics. You ever been in a room with someone that sings like that and you can feel the lyrics? I'll tell you the person that I think is the most brilliant at that is Adele. We had the privilege, my wife and two girls, um, we went and saw Adele live uh, five years ago. It was incredible, and you could feel the song, and um, this is I say that because um, that's how it felt to me. It was the same feeling. I felt this lyric, and this is how I interpreted that internal feeling was. This little simple lyric that he was writing about anxiety and depression was really the summary of all of humanity's cry I think right now at this time in history. Someone's got to help me. Someone's got to help me. I think it's the cry of the generation that we live in. And I'm saying that to say this. The church has been equipped by God to be the someones who go help the someones who've got to have help. Like we're the ones that are the answer to this young man's prayer that I don't even think he knows is a prayer. And what I wanna say to you as a church is, sometimes God answers his prayers through us to others. In other words, sometimes God will, most of the time, when a prayer comes up to God, he leans on a person and leads a person and and, and inspires a person or directs a person to be the answer to that prayer. I've not yet prayed for anything and it just kind of fell out of the sky and landed in my living room. Every time I've prayed, it's usually been a person that has been the supply and the answer to that prayer. And so the church is equipped, and Jesus describes it this way, that we we are two incredible elements. We are salt and we are light. Salt makes things better, light makes things brighter. If you get nothing else from this entire series, this is what I want you to begin to judge your day based on. Did I make one person's day better, and did I make one person's day brighter? Send a text send a phone call and say, I'm only calling to make your day better or to make your day brighter. And that is the recipe for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to function in in a way that is, uh, is pleasing in his eyes. That we're salt and that we're light. I, I, um, I, I, I'm addicted to a, sh- to a, a certain um, show, well, a certain man's show um, the guy that I love, what he does on TV. His name, hes a chef. His name is Gordon Ramsay. How many of you know Gordon Ramsay? Anybody? I kind of have a little bit of a man crush on him, although I'm completely confident in my sexuality to be able to say that. He—he he just knows what he's doing, and he—and he goes into these restaurants that—that mess with you. I'm sorry, but um, uh, he goes into these restaurants and he'll eat their food, and he'll be like, "This is bland. It's terrible. It's disgusting. It has no seasoning. You should be ashamed." to serve this food. I don't know what it is about my personality, but I'd just like to be cussed at by a Brit. I don't know why it is. On this Fourth of July, I'm just glad to be, you know, it's just, it just anyway, it's like, it's disgusting. It's, dis- <laughs> it's disgusting, it has no flavor. Listen, I sometimes think that's what we, as the people of God, are serving to the world around us. A cold, bland, unseasoned, disgusting life which is the exact opposite of what Jesus called us to do. When, when people come in contact, t- contact with us, they, they say, man, you're spicy. Man, you're seasoned well. Man, you're interesting. You're bold. You're daring. I want to be, be around you because you got something that I don't understand. Then you can say, I can tell you who he is. His name is Jesus, and he's made me to be salt in your life, and my role is to make your life better. Remember Remember the words of the psalmist? Taste and see that the Lord is good? How do we do that? Through our interactions with people. We should, make our, we should make other people's lives better and brighter. Salt and light. We exist, church, it's gonna be on screen, and I just wanna introduce this thought. We exist to love God, love people, reach a region for Jesus, and make a difference for generations. If you're new to our church, you need to know that. If you're in the middle ground with our church, you need to know this. If you've been with our church for years, you need to know this is why we are here. And I say that because we have got to remember, please, we must remember that we are called to people who do not know the love of Christ yet. We exist, not for ourselves, but for others. Listen, I am not trying to build an equal opposite of the Rotary Club here at More Life Church. I, and the Rotary Club is fine. This is not a version of the Moose Lodge. This is not, somebody just fell out, they just went bang bang. I just, <laughs> The power of God hit them and they fell. they gone. It's not a version of the country club where we're trying to be in the in crowd. This is a church of the Lord Jesus Christ that has regularly and repeatedly for decades now put our desires off to the side and disregarded our personal preferences that we might reach the one that is far from Christ. We have consistently said, giving our lives for others is why we're here. I'm not here to be comfortable myself. I'm here to learn how to be salt and light and reach others and make a difference that will last for generations. Now, although that wasn't a point just to be applauded, it is a point that is continually in tension in church families. Do we exist for ourselves or do we exist for others? Deuteronomy chapter six is where I wanna begin today's message, the warring with the gods series. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse 14 says this. Do not, pause right there, what's that mean? It's not a, you don't need to know the Hebrew. You don't need to have a word study. Uh, just like plain down to earth, not a trick question, church. What does do not mean? Enough. Don't do it. Let me make it, make, make it easier for all the parents. When you say to your kids, do not, and then you fill in the blank, what do you mean? Do you really mean it? Or are you just playing some of you just playing, I'll tell you that on parenting. I'll tell you that right now. Some of you just playing because you don't follow through on nothing and you say don't do this and they do it and you stay quiet and they keep on doing it and so you lose, you lose your reputation because you prove yourself to be a liar as a parent because you tell them to do whatever they want but you're trying to tell them not to do it but they keep on doing it and you don't have the backbone to stop them and so you're a liar. It's the best parenting advice you're gonna get today and it didn't cost you a penny, praise the Lord, everybody. Do not, do not, Follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. Deuteronomy chapter eleven sixteen. 16. Be careful <laughs> or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Now, every person in this room has some disconnection with this verse because when you say do not follow other gods, you have grown up in a in a, in a nation where really a a one God system is primarily the case, but everyone in this room at different times and in different measures have followed other gods, little G, I'm going to show you who they are. We've got to know this because if we're going to walk in the freedom that Jesus provided, We have got to know the tactics of our enemy. And knowing your enemy by name and seeing the way they work greatly increases your ability to win. This is the beginning of July, and so this is my halftime speech. To use a, a, a sports metaphor, I have seen teams who are just getting their brains beat out in the first half and they go into the locker room and the coaches tell them something and they come out a different team and they put the fight on and they end up coming back and beating the opponent, why? Because they made halftime adjustments. I've seen other sports teams where they're winning and they think they're just gonna keep on winning comes the halftime, they don't make any halftime adjustments, and they end up losing. This is the halftime speech for you, Christ follower. This is the time where you evaluate the first half of this year, maybe the first half of your life, and ask yourself, am I gonna make some adjustments? Because I'm telling you, there are some gods that we follow that we don't even know we're following them, so I gotta unmask them for you. Here they are. The God of possession, the God of pleasure, and the God of power. At different times and at different measures, we follow these gods in our life. The God of possessions, the God of pleasure, the God of power. The God of possessions is in the New Testament referred to as mammon, which is a spirit that's attached to our thinking as it relates to money and possessions. And it has to be broken. Remember, Jesus said this, you can't serve God and mammon. Some translations make that say money. That isn't what the text says. You can't serve God. You can't serve the God and mammon, the God of possessions. Can't serve both. You got to choose which one's going to be your master. And every day, every week, every month, we have to choose God over the desire for possessions. This is a big one and bad one for me, man. I'm gonna be real honest with you during this whole series about some of my personal stuff. I don't have time to get into the weeds of each one. Just a simple introduction. i the God of possessions. I'll get fixated on something and I can't get unfixated from it until I possess that thing. It may be a golf club. It may be a t-shirt. It may be a pair of shoes. It, it's, a, it's some kind of physical thing and my mind is locked on it and I cannot get off of it until I have it. Now that Tendency serves me well at some times, but when it's locked onto possessions, it leads me astray, And I disobey the verse in Deuteronomy chapter six: "Do not follow other gods. What do I do? Huh? Follow the God of possession." I cannot tell you how many times I've followed the God of possession to Easton." <laughs> We're having fun, but I want to unmask this and make it plain because you leave it in the spiritual and you think, oh, well, I don't have an altar to mammon, so I'm not serving mammon. And that is the trick of the enemy that we are blind to. The second, the god of pleasure, the Hebrew goddess is Asherah. You may recognize the Roman version, Venus better, in terms of just hearing it frequently, Aphrodite, is the Greek goddess of pleasure. Now, there is a a portion of the pleasure god that has to do with sex and sexuality. And I don't know, at some point in this service, I may, uh, not in this service, in this series rather, I may go down the path of sex and sexuality. But I'd want you to have enough advance notice to where it's age appropriate because I would have to be plain, and I think it's something that the church shies away from because it's embarrassed or feels like whatever about the idea of sex and sexuality, like it's off limits. But listen, personally, within the confines and and boundaries of marriage, I think sex is God's greatest invention ever. Somebody said, that's the best thing you said all day, preacher. <laughs> somebody, when we found out, when they find out how many kids we have, invariably someone asks, they say, you must love kids. I said, I don't love kids. I love my wife. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Talk about, they gotta play. It's, it's, it's in that arena. But watch. It's really attached to all of our physical appetites. And we're warring with those gods. Let me give you an example of how I've failed in the God of pleasure. It's in my diet and what I eat. Um, I, I, I've, been un, I've been unhappy with my physical condition. This is on me. There's no, there's no. Don't take any secondhand anything. This is me. And uh, over the last few weeks, I've, I've gained weight. And I've been saying, well, you were recovering from back surgery. You weren't very active. You weren't doing a whole lot. And so, you know. That, that's understandable, you, you weren't able to be active, and so, you know, the, the, the calories outweighed the exercise and the activity, and so, you know, that's, that's a negative thing, and they add up and they equal weight, so on and so forth. Before that, before the back surgery, I wasn't exercising and ha- having activity because my back hurt, so that was that was my excuse then. And then just keep going back and back and back. And, and um, uh, two Saturdays ago, um, I asked my wife to get some of those hostess, Powdered sugar donuts, how many of y'all like those? You know what I'm talking about? The The little white ones. Oh, Jesus. She brought those things home, and I sat in my bed. I'm ashamed of this. I'm telling you, I'm ashamed. But God, a pleasure. I'm at war, and so are you. So you bring it, I need to break it down so you don't just miss how this is destructive in our lives. I sat there, ladies and gentlemen, in my bed and ate that entire bag in one sitting. And as I finished it, because I hadn't won the war yet, my first thought was, that was impressive. <laughs> you just did a thing, dude, like good for, and then, and, then, and then I fell asleep. I'm that serious. I slept all afternoon. I woke up and the first thing I thought was, whoo, those donuts hit me. Carb coma. What is all that? an excuse to lose the war against the God of pleasure. Call it what it is. You lost that day, Josh. You lost, you got beat, and your choice is make an adjustment or make excuses. And that's, the, that's in front of you. Make an adjustment or make an excuse. Write this down if you're taking notes. Again, that's power hitting this building today. I mean, power in the room. Power in the room. Glory to God. (laughs) Pride makes excuses. Humility makes adjustments. I'm gonna say that again. Pride makes excuses. Humility makes adjustments. Every time you make an excuse, you're stepping into the realm of pride, and pride goes before the fall. But humility causes you to stand before a great man. They got a power. Known in the Bible as Baal. We'll look at this in depth, but for the sake of time, I have to keep moving. Baal, Baal, and the in the in the God of power, the effects of the God of power are: you end up feeling frustrated and fatigued and full of fog and don't know why. You haven't done anything different from your normal pattern. And you are illogically and irrationally tired and fatigued all the time. And it doesn't make any sense. You feel like you could do it externally in your body, but there's a mindset inside of your soul and inside of your brain that shuts you down. And you're just like, I probably could do it, but I don't have the motivation to do it. Oh, I'm talking to you, aren't I? What is it? It's this God of power that seeks to exert control over you and get you burdened down under the weight of things that you think are important but are of lesser value in God's mind than they are in the mind of the people in the world around you. And so you take on an attitude of, I got to keep up. They kids playing ball, my kid got to be playing ball. They got that car, I got to get that car too. Or I got to get a better one. Or they sent their kid to Ohio State, I got to send my kid to Harvard or Yale. It's, It's examples like that. We are suffering in our society, this might be a new phrase for you, from something that I'm going to call temporal exhaustion. It is the result of our inability to look beyond the latest news cycle, the latest fad, and the latest trend. So we're going from fad to fad, trend to trend, and we're wearing ourselves up trying to keep up with something that's temporary. And the solution to temporal exhaustion is to get your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, because the work that's done for him is not temporary, it's eternal. And so when you move from the temporary stuff to the eternal stuff, that power of God loses its grip on you. In 1978, a sociologist named Elise Boulding said this. If one is out of breath all of, excuse me, if one is mentally out of breath all the time from dealing with the present, there is no energy left for imagining the future. She said this in 1978. How has that ever been truer? than it is today in a social media and accelerated news cycle generation. Has it ever been said more accurately than that we are as a people mentally out of breath? It's almost like your brain can't breathe. That's the result of this God of power suppressing you. And I'm, all I'm simply trying to do is to give you language for the unseen thing that you're warring against so that you can identify it, name it, and get victory over it because Jesus has already secured our eternal victory, but we need to walk it out. And walking it out means knowing the tricks of the enemy. So um, I want everybody to get out their phone. I only have a couple minutes left. But get out your phone really quickly, please. Um, Go to your messaging app, if you would. And I want you to type in a word. I'm not gonna tell you how to spell it. Some of you maybe have heard this word, but I'm guessing the vast majority of you have not. I wanna do this to exercise a point. Try to type in the word short-termism. Short termism. Short termism. Let me see your hands. How many of you are struggling with that? Just be honest with me. How many of you are struggling in the room to, t- to get that to be accepted in your phone? Mine kept auto-correcting to other things. Is anybody having that experience? It's taking short term and making it say shorter. This was really interesting to me that my phone wouldn't even accept the word. And not a conspiracy theory about anything technologically, but just that at least in my vocabulary, I hadn't been using that language. And that in one word, you can put your phones away, that in one word is what we're endeavoring to break the power of when we war against the God of power. Short termism. Thinking everything in the short term. Thinking about some of you will leave out of here and you don't know what you're going to have for lunch so that's the first thing you think about. And that's okay, that happens to all of us. But when you think of and filter your whole life through short term, short term, short term, you're living from paycheck to paycheck, breath to breath, moment to moment, and it's destroying your life. We're warring against this. So we see them in scripture in three places. I need to... I need to give them to you quickly, so write these down. Genesis chapter one, excuse me, Genesis chapter three, Genesis three, one through six. These three gods are present in the garden in the tempting of humanity. Possessions, pleasure, power. Take the fruit, taste it, it's good. You give it, it's gonna give you the same power that God has. Same three things are there. In Jesus' ministry, in Matthew chapter four, when he's taken into the wilderness, remember when the enemy says, hey, make the stones bread. Throw yourself off of the cliff. Um, if you if you worship me, I'll give you all of these nations. You remember those three temptations? When he was tempted to turn the stones into bread, he was warring with the God of pleasure, And his response was man doesn't live by bread alone, but he lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. When he was tempted to throw himself down, he was being tempted with the God of power. Prove that you're almighty. Prove that you are God. Save yourself. You say you're God, prove it. Do something. That is the God of power. Jesus' response to that was you, it's written you shouldn't tempt the Lord your God. The third time he's tempted, I'm gonna give you all the nations you see if you'll just bow down and worship me. That is the God of possessions. They're gonna put this on screen. First John chapter two, verse 15 through 17. First two words. Do not, what's that mean? We've been over this, right? Don't do this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, The love of the Father is not in that individual. When you regularly and consistently prioritize the gods of this world above the Creator of heaven and earth, He says, the love of God isn't even in you. Wow. That's intense, isn't it? Do you feel the weight of that? Verse 16. For all that is in the world," he tells you, the, the gods you're going to have to war against, the lust of the flesh, pleasure, the lust of the eyes, possessions, the pride of life, power is not of the Father, but it's of the world. How do we get here? First Corinthians chapter 18, verse 18. says it this way. The teaching about the cross is foolishness to those who are being lost, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's written in the scripture, I will cause the wise to lose their wisdom. I will make the wise unable to understand. Where is the wise person? Where is the educated person? Where is the skilled talker of this world? God has made the wisdom of the world foolish. Jumping down to verse 24. But Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God to those people called Jews and Greeks. Watch this, verse 25. Even the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. How do we get here, guys? How do we get here? The way we get to this place and lose the war and don't fight effectively as we're warring these gods is, number one, we lose when we give up on God's wisdom and settle for the world's ways. Romans 12, two says this. man. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention to God, you'll be changed from the inside out. Let me read that again. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Here's the question. Before us, will we change our standard or will we let God change us? Will we compromise and flex with the moving tide that is against godliness? Or will we stand firm and stand strong and let God change us? How did we get here? We get here when we follow our feelings instead of our faith. Do you have a little bit of energy for me to talk to you or are you all done? Some of you are tiring out, I can feel it. This, this, what I'm gonna say right now, what I'm saying right now is important, yes, all right? I know there's a war going on in the room for the people who said, keep on going preaching. The other one's saying, shut up, dude, I want out. Like, I get it. Let me, let, just, let me make the point, okay? We're living in a culture where people are elevating their feelings above the word of God, and it's gonna destroy us if we don't correct it. Because your feelings are not the most important thing on this planet, and neither are mine. The world does not revolve around your feelings. And listen to me. Your feelings will betray you. That sounds very Star Wars-ish. <laughs> feelings will betray you, young Padawan. <laughs> they will. They'll betray you. And we live in a world where people are making their feelings God. I feel this, and so you have to respect that. No, we don't. What we need to do is we need to love you enough to tell you that feelings are temporary. God's word is eternal, and the question is, are you going to agree with the Bible on what it calls sin, or are you going to trust your feelings to be the God of this world? That was good. Thank you. Number three, we trust ourselves. We get here because we end up trusting ourselves more than we trust God. Proverbs 3, verses five and six says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Forget about how you get it. Forget about how you understand it. You are not the highest authority on the subject, and neither am I. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Are you going to trust culture's new norms, or are you going to trust God's plan? I'm gonna close and get out of the way. And this is just the beginning part and it's meant to leave questions and we're gonna answer these questions as we go. But I wanted you to see as just an introduction, not only what you're up against, but what every person you encounter on this planet is up against. And if you can win, and here's the hope. In 2 Timothy chapter two, verse two, I believe it is. Paul writes this to Timothy. Well, can I just, rather than, rather than trying to quote it and maybe messing it up, let me, just, let me just, I have my Bible here, so that's the good thing about it. I can look and find it. I think that's the right verse. Yeah. Therefore, my song be strong in the grace that is in you in Christ Jesus. Can I make this personal to us as a church? I won't take away from what the scripture says, but I want to make it personal for us. You, therefore, More Life Church, be strong in the grace that's in you in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard from me, among many witnesses, commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Watch the multiplication of this. This is where church really gets exciting and is salt and light, and where a church can kind of step into a place where they just explode, not because they're interested in numbers, but because they're doing what the word of God teaches. Where Paul tells Timothy, and I'm gonna be Paul for 30 seconds, and you're gonna be Timothy for 30 seconds. I'm teaching you so you can get it but my god if it dies with you and never goes on to another person i will have failed in my assignment and we will have come we will come short of what god can do through us as a body because the assignment is i teach you You live it and you teach others also who live it and they teach more who live it and it multiplies and expands and it grows. That's why I thought it was beautiful that God said, do this in July because I think he saw that the people who would be here would be the faithful ones or watching online would be the faithful ones to put it into practice. I never say it this way, but I just feel like saying it this way today. If you respect and value the hard work that a person like me does to seek God and to dig out from his word thoughts for his church, if you respect that, if you love that, if you honor that, if you're appreciative of that, would you please just do me a favor? Don't let it die with you.